You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, when we listen to the Word of God, our faith is strengthened and we're built up. Chew on that. It's so rich and meaty. It's so rich. If you can only handle milk right now because you're a new believer, take the milk. Take all you can get. But as you grow and as you develop, you're going to want the meat of the Word. You're going to want the true essence of the Word. And you're going to want your heart to be filled with it. And it becomes a desire to know it better. And the more you know it, the stronger you become. When you meditate on the Word of God, you become stronger in the Lord. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he stresses to you the importance of meditating on Scripture. Faith comes by hearing, and as you listen and saturate yourself in the Word, your faith becomes built up. Keep yourself in God's Word. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13, as he continues his message, Your Choice, Victory or Casualty. To use these weapons, the Word of God, prayer, and worship, we must be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We must be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit when we're ready to do battle. The Holy Spirit is our empowering strength. That is where we get our strength to stand up. Do you ever see an army on the move? Or maybe you've seen a war movie or a war film, how the soldiers advance. You ever notice this? I've been noticing this lately. I I like war films. I've been noticing this lately. When soldiers move, when they move into attack, they move at a very fluid, synchronized, almost choreographed way. I mean, one of them gets up and looks out, then they'll send two this way, then they'll send two that way, and then two more will jump. And everything's choreographed. Everything has a, a precision to it and precise motion. Each movement is precise, and they move together as a unit. They move together as one. They don't just all charge at every which way. They don't haphazardly run around by themselves but they move toward their goals with one purpose. And the purpose that the military has when they go to war is simply this, defeat and destroy the enemy. That's what a military does. This is how the army of the Lord moves. We move as a unit. We move in unity as one. And the goal is no less than that of any other military. Our goal is complete destruction and defeat of the enemy. But... As in all wars, there are victories and there are casualties. We know that Christ has won the final victory. He's won the war. We know that the war has been won by Jesus Christ. You've read the book. We win. Woo-hoo! We win, period. But from time to time, we get in these little battles, we get in these little skirmishes that come along in our lives. But these battles, as I said earlier, they're intended for the purpose of stealing your joy of tarnishing your testimony, of taking that peace that you have so that you won't be a light to someone else, that they will look at you and go, oh, gee, they're a lemon-sucking Christian. Why would I want to be like that? Why would I want to be like them? Because they're always miserable and they have Christ. I don't want to be a part of that group. This is what Satan wants to do. 
But in our Christian walk, we can choose to walk in victory or we can choose to be a casualty of the war. Remember, it's how we view the war that makes the difference. In today's study, study, this view will mean the difference between victory, salvation, and a casualty. Someone leaves the mission field. A casualty. Taking you back a little bit, as we concluded Acts 12, we saw Barnabas and Saul return from Jerusalem to Antioch. They had successfully delivered the relief gift that the church of Antioch sent with them to help those in need in the Jerusalem church. Accompanying them, Barnabas and Saul, was a young man. His name was John Mark. And we find out in Colossians 4, verse 10, he's none other than Barnabas' cousin. So, family. We left off in 1225, and it says, Then Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they took also with them John, whose surname is Mark. Most scholars believe that chapter 13 of the book of Acts is the beginning of one of the greatest periods of the new church. It's one of the greatest movements and possibly also one of the greatest battles that has ever taken place in the history of mankind, and that battle continues today. It's a battle for souls. It's a battle for souls. Some of you have been on the front lines of that battle for a long time. Got the scars to prove it. It's a battle for souls. So what happens is that these people, John, Mark, Saul, Barnabas, and the church of Antioch, they all gathered together. There were prophets and there was teachers, and they were about to hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to separate a couple of them and send them out on the mission field, send them out to the battlefield. They were going to send them into battle. Again, the battle was for souls. The weapons included the preaching of the gospel, the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Who were the recipients of this message? The entire world. The rest of the entire modern world was now now going to receive this message, starting with a handful of men. So these men were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. When you're a soldier and you become an officer, you get commissioned. You get actually commissioned. You get a letter of commission that says you are now an officer and you're allowed to lead people. Well, these guys were commissioned. They were commissioned by God. They were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. These three men... Barnabas, Saul, and young John Mark left the comforts of Antioch and they set forth, in verse 13 too, it says, to do the work that the Holy Spirit had called them to do. They set forth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, sent by the Holy Spirit, looking to see where the Holy Spirit would lead them. They were on their way. First missionary journey now is a set in motion. The history of the world is relying and resting on this missionary journey. What's going to happen to these guys? Their first stop is Cyprus. It says in 13.4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Many, many think that the only reason they stopped in Cyprus and why they went to Cyprus first is because in Acts 4, verse 36, we found out that this was Barnabas' home. They went to Barnabas' hometown. What a great place to start. A lot of us, when we're saved, we go back to our hometown and as our first missionary spot. And we want to tell people, your hometown, when you're saved, might be where you work. You want to go and start telling people at work what happened to you, the change in your life. They'll see it sooner or later. But they go to Cyprus. They go to Cyprus. Cyprus, Cyprus is a paradise island. Cyprus is a beautiful, wonderful place down there. And, and they go to this place. And I'm sure these missionaries are sitting around going, this is great. This is wonderful. We're in a paradise. I mean, after all. 
When you pray to be sent out as a missionary, are you praying, Lord, I want to be a missionary for you. Send me to Hawaii. Maybe that's what you're praying. Yeah, send me to Hawaii. Everybody wants to go out where there's wonderful places and wonderful times. Well, they landed on Cyprus. So they got there, and things were good. Things were great. It says in verse 5, it says, When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Things were good. They were approximately 130 miles from home. 130 miles is what they traveled, and it was easy travel, and they began proclaiming the gospel. They went into the synagogues, and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This would become Saul's trademark. If you read, when we get into the book of Acts, you'll see that every place he goes, the first place he goes is into the synagogue to teach the Jews. It's the first place he always seems to go. But this is great. They preach the gospel. They're being sent by the Holy Spirit. They're God's ambassador. They're trusting in the Lord for victory. The small army is on the move. And they're going there. They're talking about the Lord. The weapons are aimed to those who are without hope, those without Christ. We want to preach the word of God. As an aside, we see the Holy Spirit calling people into service again, equipping them and leading them into battle. These men followed in obedience to the call of the willingness, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they went wherever he led. And we're going to read in the book of Acts now. From now on, every time the Holy Spirit said, go here, they went there. The Holy Spirit said, don't go there. They didn't go there. They followed the Holy Spirit every time they moved. This is great models of willingness to serve, great models that we have for us when we look at this. Their hearts were open to whatever the Lord wanted to do. If you're being called today by God to go someplace, I tell you right now, trust in him and go. I'm telling you right now, trust in him and move. Make that move. Make that step. You must follow his lead. My only request is, make sure it's God. Make sure it's the Lord. So they're in Cyprus, the happy place. Palm trees are swaying. They're all in in Cyprus. Everything was great. Everything was going well with the new missionaries. This was evil, easy. They traveled with the people. They talked about Christ. And then they started to move away from Cyprus. They started to move away from this wonderful place. They traveled about 90 more miles. And the further and further away they got from the comfort of Antioch, the spiritual war starts to heat up. Things become more difficult. Now, I'm sure after a time, you know, of walking, because that's all they did. They walked everywhere. I'm sure they were tired. I'm sure they were exhausted from the walking. I'm sure that the accommodations weren't as grand as they were in Antioch or even in the uh, town of uh, Salamis. I'm sure they were getting tired. As one commentator put it, the romance of the trip soon faded. That happens. This can easily happen on a mission trip. Easily happen on a mission trip. I'll never forget. A group of us, there was what, there's five or six of us, seven of us down in New Orleans after Katrina. And you know, there's the excitement of going. You're all like, wow, this is great. You're going to get there. You're going to minister to the people about Christ. You're going to get there. And you can't wait to get there. You get there. You're tired from the airplane, but you don't care. You get up the next morning and you worship the Lord and you have some devotions. You pray and boom, you hit the streets. And you're ministering to people left and right. And you're talking about the Lord. You're comforting people. You're crying with them. You're ministering to them. Some accept the Lord. All wonderful things are happening. But man, I'll tell you what. That was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Come about Thursday, you're like, you are drained. You're physically, emotionally drained. You're spiritually depleted. That's when he strikes. That's when he goes, oh boy, I got you now. Even when we were in New Orleans, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we had such great, wonderful success. We had all kinds of success. It was 
beautiful. It was glorious. The Lord was being glorified. People were getting saved in our midst. We were talking to people, helping people. We were doing all kinds of things. Thursday morning, we went to a Walmart that had been absolutely destroyed by the hurricane flood, and there was this huge, huge FEMA center set up there. There were, must have been tens of thousands of people there to receive food and goods and water and ice, all kinds of things, and we were helping them out. We had a great big sign that said, we have hope. And people would walk by, and we would give them things, and we would talk to them. And this one guy walked by, and, and he just started talking to me. I said, I don't know. I said, I, the Lord's just really put, put it upon my heart. Would you like to receive Christ today? And he went, you know what? I guess I should. I prayed with the guy right there, and he received, he received Christ right in front of me. I'm like, this is great. Two minutes later, he disappears. And two minutes later, the backpack that I had, been, had with my cell phone, with all my belongings and everything like that, is gone. It's missing. It's, it's gone. It was it's sitting right there, and it's not even there anymore. It's gone. I'm like, what's going on? Somebody swiped my backpack. What's happening? We call the police. We report it. And the police are saying, look around. There's 10,000 people around here. How are we going to find this backpack? I said, I don't know. How are we going to do that? All of a sudden, over the phone comes a call. Now, we had other backpacks there, too. We had other backpacks that we were giving out to people, right? So we're thinking that somebody just picked up my backpack, but that's not how it happened. We get a call. We get a call on the police radio that this guy was picked up with a pink backpack. I said, mine wasn't pink. Let's establish that right now. It was not pink. Okay? He called up the guy. Guy, here this guy is. He said he, he said it was given to him. Guess who it was? It was the guy I just prayed with. It was the guy I just prayed with and accepted the Lord. He was caught stealing a backpack. I said, well, now he has a prison ministry. I don't know. I said, I don't know what's happening here. It was hysterical. We're like, what's going on here? Well, anyhow, we, did, we, found, we found the backpack, and what happened from that time all the way on, the whole team was in turmoil. Everything that happened, we were stepping on each other's feet. We started to get angry at each other, stuff like that. And finally, midway through the day, I think it was late in the afternoon, I don't know when it was, we finally said, stop. Everybody get together. We all got together, and we prayed. I said, listen, you've got to understand what's happening here. This is spiritual. We're being hammered. We're tired. We're exhausted. The Lord is doing mightily, and the Satan now wants to come in and divide the group up. And we all recognized that. We all prayed for about 15, 20 minutes and hit the road running, and everything was beautiful after that. But what I'm trying to say is, when you get tired, when you're in the mission field, and you're serving Christ, and you're getting, you get tired, you get weary. You know, it says, don't be weary of doing good. You get weary. You get tired. You get downbeaten. Satan's right there. He's right there waiting for you at your weakest moment to test you. And that happens in your lives today. You have a bad day at work. You have a bad day with your kids. You have a bad day with your spouse. Have a bad day, just bad day. You wake up grumpy. And, and, and he's right there waiting to see how he can trip you up. And he wants to question the word of God. And he wants to question what you're doing as a Christian. You think you're so hot and mighty here. Look at this. And he questions everything in your life. And everything in your life seems to be helter-skelter and crazy. And he's just sitting back there going, has God said that you would have this? He questions constantly. But we have the power in Jesus Christ to overcome that because Christ has overcome it. We don't overcome it. Christ has overcome it. He's the overcomer. And in him, we have victory. But we need to stay close to him. This is when the battle heats up. Remember the lion on the animal planet looking for the weak one. You're tired. You're uncomfortable. Your surroundings, the battle begins in earnest. In verses 6 through 8, we move on. 
It says, now when they had gone through the island of Patphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And if you can't see the battle lines drawn here, you need to look at it very carefully. You have somebody who's opposing the faith. He's opposing the word of God. And he's drawing a battle line and he's saying, I'm going to turn this guy away. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're in the mission field or you're just a Christian walking around in your life and somebody, I forget who it was that somebody said this happened to them. When you're just walking around in your day to day and somebody comes up to you and goes, tell me about Jesus. You go, you look around like, what? Is this a setup? I mean, those are the words every Christian wants to hear. Tell me about Jesus. Okay, (laughs) sure, I'll tell you about Christ. But that's what happens here. This guy, this proconsul. Now, proconsul is a governor. He's a Roman. He's a governor. And he comes to him and goes, I want to hear about Christ. I want to hear about God. They're like, whoa, this is great. So they start telling him, but he has this, this sorcerer. They, they traveled hard. They were preaching the gospel. And they meet this guy and this sorcerer. This sorcerer wants to keep him from coming to the Lord. A real battle takes place here. And in this battle, like we said, there's going to be victory and there's going to be a casualty. They meet this guy. His name is Bar-Jesus. It means son of Jesus. Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew word Joshua. Yeshua. And that means God is my salvation. It's a very, very common name. Very, very common name back in those days. But that's what it meant. This means Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. And many think that he claimed to be a descendant of Jesus because he was intent on getting Jesus' mystical powers, so he thought. He was a sorcerer. But we're really soon told exactly who his father is. Elimus means skillful one. That's his name. He means skillful one. And he obviously had power or control over the proconsul. But the proconsul was seeking the one true living God. And this sets in motion this inevitable spiritual battle. Spiritual battle. They're about to clash. The spirits are about to clash. Spiritual warfare, believe me, is not some mythical fantasy. It's real, and it happens today. Satan always wants to keep us off guard by not believing in spiritual warfare, by not believing that he even exists. There's a book I have by Brian Broderson. It's entitled Spiritual Warfare. How about that? It says, quote, one of the most effective strategies is to keep us ignorant of the existence of this warfare. Sometimes we say, oh, that doesn't happen. Don't be ignorant here, folks. It happened. It's real. It's real. We have a real enemy. As believers, we need to know that it's real. If you've ever read one of my favorite books, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. I love C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters. It's fantastic. He says, the demons hail with delight at those who disbelieve their existence. In other words, if you don't believe that they exist, the demons are going, well, we got this one. This is cool. They don't even believe we're here. So first of all, believe that they're there. We cannot live in oblivion to these things, to the spiritual realm. Believe me when I say it's real. When it comes to the souls of men and women and children, Satan will put up one whale of a fight for their soul. When it comes to keeping a Christian down and underfoot, he's at it best. And trust me on this one, folks. When it comes to dividing a church, Satan never misses a beat. He's ever ever present, and he's ever, ever attacking. We must be watchful for his schemes. We must be on the lookout for him. We must arm ourselves with the word of God. We must pray without ceasing, and we must worship him. 
in spirit and truth. We must keep our minds focused on Jesus Christ. In Philippians, Paul, writing about this very thing, says in Philippians 4, 8, I love this verse. He says, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He just got finished saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication, present your request to the Lord and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And then he says this, you want to know how to keep that peace in your heart? He says, meditate on those things that he just said, whatever's true, pure, virtuous, lovely, good report. Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Meditate on him, your savior. Remember when we talked about meditation? Cal, sitting there chewing his cud all day long. That's what meditation is. Just reading the word and meditating on it. Let it just sink into you richly. Let it sink into you and, and build you up. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When we read the word of God, when we listen to the word of God, our faith is strengthened and we're built up. Just mm, chew on that. It's so rich and meaty. It's so rich. If you can only handle milk right now because you're a new believer, take the milk. Take all you can get. But as you grow and as you develop, you're going to want the meat of the word. You're going to want the true essence of the word, and you're going to want your heart to be filled with it, and it becomes a desire to know it better. And the more you know it, the stronger you become. I'm not saying you're going to, it, you'll never be attacked. I'm not saying things aren't going to go wrong. I'm not saying your circumstances are going to be perfect. You don't hear that. There is a battle going on, the battle going on. And we get back to the present battle in Acts 13. Hughes calls this a bare-knuckle, heart-thumping confrontation. I like that. Kind of like a WWF wrestling match. That's what we are, you know? Every time I think of WWF, I think of the old Hulk, Hulkster, Hulk Hogan, you know? I used to love those matches. I, was, I, I liked that kind of stuff. That was crazy. for That was fun. Because these guys, you know, Hulk Hogan would get thrown around the ring. He'd get beat up. He'd get bloodied. He would be pounded on and pounded on and pounded on. And, and he would jump. And they would, I mean, this, these little guys would just beat him all over the place. For like 10, 15 minutes of the round, he could hardly get up. And he'd pound him. And then all of a sudden, he'd be lying down. And he'd raise his hand. Everybody start cheering. And he'd get up and he'd rip his shirt. And, you know, that's us in Christ. When we're getting beat down, when we're getting hammered by Satan, we can put our hand up and go, praise God, and we can stand up in victory. We can stand up in victory and say, we're not fighting the fight. He's fighting the fight. When Satan comes knocking at your door, open the door and go, big brother, this is for you. And let Jesus take care of it. Let Christ take care of it. But Barnabas, they were fighting. They, and you know what? This must have been very frightening to some of them. And I think it was one of the reasons why John Mark left. He was afraid. He sees this guy. I mean, Paul didn't mess around with words. He didn't call him, oh, you nice man. He said, no, you son of the devil. You don't know who your father is. You're a devil. They found out that there's a cost when you're sincere about your service for the Lord. There's a cost. There's a cost when you want to see your family's life change. There's a cost. There's a cost when you want to help the needy. There's a cost when you want to give of your heart. There's a cost when you take a stand for righteousness. There's a cost. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of Assure Hope. 
Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Acts when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on A Sure Hope.